And he occupied himself with only stuff that God knows. That he gave his attention, his energy, his obsession to what was impossible for him to know. So remember where all this started, right? The very first start of the before results. It started with pride, a heart that was lifted up. And that shaped how he viewed people. And now that shapes how he views his circumstances and the world around him. Friends, could it be that our restlessness over what's uncertain is in part, if not mainly, an issue of pride? So when we think, however subtly, that we must have a grasp on everything that's going on around us, that we must understand entirely our world around us, that we must have a firm grasp on each aspect of our lives, well, that means we seek to lean entirely on ourselves. And we overestimate our ability to do all that. And we overestimate our right to know all of that. So this week's just given us a little bit of a glimpse into how much we don't realize is actually out of our control. We just think about when you go to the grocery store. When you go to the grocery store, food is always on the shelves, isn't it? Even toilet paper is always on the shelves. We think we do, we do nothing to prepare the food that's always there. We do nothing to grow it. We do nothing to raise it. We do nothing to package it. And poof. It's just there, ready for us to buy. And that was threatened, unsettled this week. And now that things are unsettled and uncertain, we obsess over what we can't control simply because we want to control it. Maybe you've been like me this week and you can't stop looking at your phone, checking the news, and checking the internet. You just can't, like, I know it's not good for me. I know it's not good for me to keep searching for more information, but I do it anyway because I'm convinced that the more I know, the more I'll feel like I'm in control. So many of us wonder, you know, how am I going to pay my bills when I'm not working? How long will stuff really be closed down? How bad will this really get? Is all of this really necessary to shut everything down? What about those I love who are vulnerable? What is going to happen to them? What are they going to do to stimulate the economy? I don't think about myself. What, what about my wedding in July? Should I, should I be worried about that? And friends, so much of that is simply out of our control. It's impossible for us to know. And if we obsess over it, then we become like children who are in the middle of the weaning process. Have you ever seen a baby who's hungry? Of course you have. You've been a baby who is hungry. They are fussy. They are demanding. They are restless. And instead of this, David says he is now at peace, that he's quiet. It's not that he's indifferent to what's uncertain. He simply doesn't obsess over it anymore. It's not that David has taken the Jimmy Buffett route of spirituality, you know, escaped the uncertainty, just drink it away. Now, David was a busy man. He was a life full of action and people and decisions. He was a king. But David could have peace, calm, and composure amidst all the commotion and uncertainty 
without removing himself from it. The question is, do you have that? You're going to be honest with yourself. Be honest. You think, what uncertainty unsettles you? There's got to be something. How do you, and then if you put your finger on that, how do you attempt to gain peace, calm, and composure in that? You just use logic and reason, you know, facts over fear. You simply try to escape from it, ignore it. How you try to gain peace, calm, and composure might give you a clue into what you really worship. In the cinematic masterpiece known as Space Jam, Michael Jordan, the basketball player, leads the Looney Tunes in the high-stakes basketball game against the intergalactic Monstars. After falling to a mathematically insurmountable deficit at halftime, Bugs Bunny rouses the team of self-loathing cartoons by offering the holy elixir known as Michael's Secret Stuff. Now, the secret is that this is simply water from the faucet, that he convinces the team will make them play like Michael Jordan if they drink it. And alas, the entire Looney Tunes squad drinks the uh, Michael's Secret Stuff, and they are transformed and emerge victorious over the evil Monstars. Now, what's the lesson? Is the lesson that our real problem is our lack of confidence in ourselves? Well, maybe for the movie it is, but I think point one entirely uh, knocked us off of that. The lesson here is that gaining this peace, calm, and composure, gaining the change, the final results hinted at in verse one, is more complicated than drinking Michael's secret stuff. It's a process. That's what David says in verse 2. You notice there. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, my soul is within me. We know a child is successfully weaned when he no longer needs that kind of nourishment from his mother anymore. And a child is successfully weaned when something that used to mean everything to him now means nothing to him. The child who was once noisy about what he wanted has now learned quiet. Now, while weaning is a process, there are no degrees. You're either a nursing infant or you're a weaned child. There's no in-between. Now, what did David need to get weaned off of? Well, it's all the stuff that he talked about in verse 1. He needed to get weaned off uh, that he needed to understand and have a grasp of everything in his life. That he needed to know how everything in his life will work out. That life needed to go on his own terms, according to his plan. That as long as life went that way, that he's okay and that he's okay with God. It's the thinking that God wants him to feel good. That he's not asking for much, that David's just asking for a measure of success, a measure of approval and understanding. And who doesn't want that? Doesn't God want us to be happy? Doesn't God want David to be happy? Now we can get hooked on that way of thinking, and uncertain times especially reveals that. This is the way of thinking that what we need is for God to care for us 
in such a way that is on our terms, that is approved by us, and it's in a way that we fully understand. So when we're unsettled by uncertainty, and when we obsess over what we can't know and can't control, we show that we're still in this weaning process. Just think of a couple of examples. We think about dealing with the uncertainty of other people's opinion. That's uncertain. Other people's opinion and actions are beyond our control. And we set ourselves up for a lot of messy consequences when we try to control that what we can't control, including other people's opinions. We set ourselves up for anger, for anxiety, for manipulation, for timidity, for being phony. We think of another example, dealing with COVID-19. What are things we can fuss about and be noisy about, even if just internally and subconsciously? I saw one tweet from a political pundit that I think sums it up well. She said this, Americans need to know a certain date when this will end. The uncertainty for businesses, parents, and kids is just not sustainable. Isn't that the point? That's the whole point of all of this, is that we can't say for certain when it will all end. So friends, we're still on this weaning process, aren't we? We're still on the previous stage before the complete change. We're still in that before picture. We seek the nourishment of life going on our terms, under our control, and in line with our own understanding. The problem is that kind of nourishment doesn't nourish us at all. It's like trying to survive by eating cotton candy. It might sound like a good idea. It might taste good but you'll eventually starve to death and you'll wind up with a bunch of cavities. So listen to other places in the Bible talk about this. Psalm 127, just a couple Psalms prior. Psalm 127 verse two says, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Listen to Jesus in Matthew 6 verse 27. He asks, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Friends, in these days of uncertainty, would you ask yourselves, are you trying to eat that which won't nourish you? So when we obsess and worry over what's uncertain and what we can't control, we're attempting to get nourishment from what can't give us nourishment. So, Stop pursuing what won't do you any good. So, okay, okay, I get it. You might say, Steve, I'll, I'll just stop cold turkey. I'll use sheer willpower to stop thinking this way. Good luck. You can't do that. To mix the food metaphor, it's like starting to eat Lay's potato chips and then trying to stop. Is really hard. So okay, you might say, Steve, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just worry about what I can control. Not worry about what I can't control. And I'll try to be optimistic about what's uncertain. You know, just join alongside Bob Marley and say, every little thing is going to be all right. Well, if that's where we leave it, I guess my question to you is, 
how do you know? How do you know that every little thing is going to be all right? What is your basis for your optimism? Because if this is just us, like our world and our and humanity all happened by accident, who's to say that things won't get worse than they actually are? Who's to say that what we fear the most about uncertainty won't come true? Could this be another reason why so many of us are just endlessly restless about uncertainty? Because when out of pride we leave everything to ourselves, then it's up to us to fix and control everything. And it doesn't take long for us to realize that we can't fix and control everything on our own. I'm not saying we don't take any action, but we shouldn't fool ourselves to think that we can fix it entirely. So we need to get weaned off of this way of thinking. And that's not easy. I think that's why weaning is an appropriate image. You know, stopping the noise and the fuss and restlessness of a nursing infant is, is hard. It's frustrating. It's full of temper tantrums and ugly crying. So how does it happen? What's the power behind this process of weaning? Well, if we can't fix and control everything, if we can't silence and calm the noise within us, then clearly we need power and help outside and beyond ourselves. Saying that we can do this on our own is like telling a drowning person, you know, just try harder. Saying that we could do this on our own is like telling a person with no bootstraps to pull themselves up by their bootstraps. So what weans us off our insufficient, restless selves? What's the source of calm, peace, and composure? Well, look at verse 3. David shifts from speaking of his own experience to talking directly to his audience. He says, O Israel, Hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. The only true way we can stop obsessing over what we can't know and can't control is by trusting the one who does know and does control everything. Listen to the prayer of Anselm. He was an English monk who lived in the 11th century. He said, I do not seek, O Lord, to penetrate thy depths. I by no means think my intellect equal with them, but I long to understand in some degree thy truth, which my heart believes and loves. For I do not seek to understand that I may believe, but I believe that I may understand. God sees the ladders that we construct that lead to nowhere and our attempts to control and understand everything, and he graciously topples those ladders and calls us to hope in him. So what would make us hope in the Lord? And what do we hope in the Lord for? We're left to fill in the blanks here, aren't we? Just the verse three, it just says, hope in the Lord. What does that mean? Well, I think it's helpful to remember that Psalms are purposely grouped and ordered in the way that they are. So we begin to answer why we hope in the Lord and what we hope in him for when we remember what comes before Psalm 131, and that's Psalm 130. So turn there or just look it up at the, 
at the page and see how Psalm 130 goes and how it begins. Psalm 130 begins by saying, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. We just pause there. We hope in the Lord because of his heart of mercy, his heart to hear our prayers. We hope in him because he rules and reigns over our situation and he can intervene. So we put this together. We hope in the Lord because he is good, because he is in control, and because he hears. We can keep going. Psalm 130. It says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. We hope in the Lord because he is holy. He is perfect. Iniquities or sins matter to the Lord. He doesn't just sweep them under the rug. He doesn't excuse them. But we hope in the Lord also because he is merciful and he is a forgiving God. And we need that hope because we ourselves have committed iniquity and sin. Keep going. Psalm 130. What do we hope in the Lord for? Why should we hope in him? It continues on. It says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. Who is it that we wait for? The Lord. He's the one coming to take action on behalf of those who trust in him. And according to this, he is trustworthy. Psalm 130 closes by saying, O Israel, hope in the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Psalm 131. Hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. What do you see here? Just take a look back at Psalm 130 and all the ways we are invited to hope in the Lord, to hope in his faithful, committed love, to hope in his plentiful and complete redemption to save us from ourselves. Hope in the Lord. When? Well, back to Psalm 131, verse 3. From this time forth and forevermore. It's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? You think of how much fuller this hope is in the light of Christ. As one author puts it, it's as if David plays a trumpet solo in Psalm 131, and then when Jesus enters the scene, the whole orchestra takes the stage and plays. Jesus, God the Son become man, is the one who invites us to hope and trust in him. We know some of the verses well, like Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Telling his disciples in the Gospel of John, in the world you will have much trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Friends, the one who calmed the storm of the sea can rule and calm the storm inside of us as well. Can settle our restless hearts. We who are on our own, we who are enslaved to the sin of wanting our way, of wanting control, and of obsessing over that, 
we find full and final forgiveness, redemption, justice, and peace because Jesus lived and died in our place. And he imparts to us the spirit of God and promises to return and establish peace on all the earth. So how do we wean ourselves off of the noisy, restless spirit within us, especially now? Well, friends, it begins first by believing in Jesus Trusting in him alone, the son of God, who lived the life we haven't lived. Jesus always lived with peace, never delved in prideful obsession. He lived the life we haven't lived, and yet he died the death that we deserved. My friend, if you do not trust in Jesus, do that today. You can pray to the Lord, Lord, I cannot pay for my sin, and I have sinned. I can't rule my life, so I need you to save me, and I trust you enough to follow you in everything. If you want to know more about what that means, please feel free to contact me afterwards. I'd be happy to talk with you more. Well, this past week, uh, there's, there's one song that we sing often at Old Oak that has rung in my head uh, constantly. It's called The Solid Rock. The chorus uh, goes like this. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Friend, I think one thing that God is at work in mercy in this time is to show us that there is no other hope in uncertainty. There is no other hope for forgiveness. There is no other hope for everything that's wrong to be made right. There is no other hope for peace, rest, and calm besides the Lord Jesus Christ. As St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So how do we wean ourselves off of a noisy, restless spirit within us? Well, Christian brother and sister, in uncertainty, would you keep believing in Jesus? I know that's simple. I know that probably feels like, well, of course, but it's actually a lot deeper than we realize. Because to do this meaningfully, we need to examine all of the ways we are not hoping in the Lord, that we're giving ourselves over to the mindset that we want to know everything, that we want to control and know all that we can know and control. So the first step of weaning ourselves off of that way of thinking is recognizing how we're still going after that old food of anxious toil. How we're still trying to seek nourishment in that which won't give us nourishment. So when you feel restless and noisy inside, would you ask yourself, like, what am I obsessing over? What is it that's bothering me right now? You know, I have to do this often because I regularly have just... 10,000 different things going on in my mind. Like stuff I want to do, stuff I should be doing, and how I'm going to plan for all of it. And this week, that, those thoughts have been like turned up to 10. Now, it's not that we shouldn't make plans. It's not that we shouldn't pray. But we need to realize our limits for each day. And we need to put the stuff away. 
Did not plan that rhyme, but it just worked out like that. Put the stuff away in our thoughts, in our habits. Examine what you are obsessing over. Just real practically, I'm sure you've heard this as just common wisdom. May I suggest putting the phone away? May I suggest turning off your TV? May I suggest being okay with quiet? You know, I think so many of us struggle with inner noise and constant inner commotion because we're always distracted, because we're always busy and there's always activity going on. So weaning ourselves off of a noisy, restless spirit. It's not just about removing the bad. It's about replacing it with the better. Remove the bad. Replace it with the better. So we recognize all the ways that we're not hoping in the Lord. And do you know what we replace it with? Hope in the Lord. We recognize all the ways we attempt to rule our situations and instead trust that Jesus rules. He's the one who has saved us from ourselves. To know him is to know peace because he has one peace and he promises peace. He's the one who gives us himself. So even in uncertainty, Jesus still reigns. Even in uncertainty, hope in the Lord. Realize our limitations. Hope in the Lord. Remember the words from the Heidelberg Catechism, written in 1563. It asks the question, what is your comfort in life and death? It says that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood. And he has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. The truth is still the truth. These words are always true, no matter the uncertainty around us. Now, you may or may not know the story of Habakkuk. It's a fairly obscure book in the Old Testament. There's been a clip of Billy Graham uh, teaching and preaching about Habakkuk that's gone around this week. Uh, the short of the background of this book of Habakkuk is that Habakkuk lived in a day when the events around him made no sense to him. He couldn't understand why God would allow a wicked nation to overrun the nation of Israel. And what did God tell Habakkuk? Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. God told him, I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. God was up to something. So amazing in Habakkuk's day, a day of awful circumstances. God was up to something so amazing that if he told Habakkuk, that Habakkuk wouldn't even believe him. Friends, what's God up to with COVID-19? I think if we knew all the ways that he was working, we wouldn't believe him. 
He's up to more than we know. But we do know that he is up to the good of those who love him. And one of those goods just might be to wean us off of our own understanding of noisily and busily obsessing over matters too great and too marvelous for us, just like David used to. And instead, teach us more of what it truly means to hope in the Lord alone and then have peace even in uncertainty. Would you pray with me as we close? Father in heaven, we love you and we need you. And Lord, we confess that we, we act as if we are sufficient in ourselves. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought. And Lord, we're humbled by events of this week. We're reminded of our frailty. We're reminded of how fragile we are and how vulnerable we are. And we're reminded of how much you really do sustain us. God, you say that the secret things belong to you. Help us to be okay with that. We trust you, Lord. We believe, help our unbelief. Wean us off of our own understanding and help us to acknowledge you in all of our ways. Trusting you, the one who lived and died and rose again. So thank you, Lord, for your time, this time. Please be with your people today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.